Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40, as we continue to consider together the unfolding of this remarkable piece of history. Let me read for you, beginning at verse 1. Sometime after this, after Joseph, after, uh, after Joseph has interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer uh, and the chief baker, Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt, and Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in the custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled, so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? And they said to him, we have had dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said, in my dream, there was a vine before me and on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the cup and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me in the pit. And when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. And there were three cake baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand and he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them, yet the chief cupbearer 
did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you and we look together at this portion of your word, I pray that you would lead and guide us uh, into all truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, believer, having by faith through grace embraced Jesus as Savior, Lord, and King, you know. You know the Lord promises to be with you. And yet, for all of us, there are still times when you find yourself wondering, where is he? I know that's true. I've been there. I've had that experience often. Like me, you've experienced times when it feels as if you're stumbling about in a blue fog. You remember when we looked at Psalm 59, perhaps, and there David having experienced repeatedly the Lord's steadfast love, he finds himself in a blue fog. And he cries out to the Lord. David cries out to the Lord, wake up, rouse yourself. But David, King David, David appears to temporarily wonder if the Lord is paying any attention to what is happening to him. But then you may also remember that in that psalm, David remembers how the Lord has shown him time and again his steadfast love and his faith is rekindled so that once more he is able to trust the Lord's promises to protect him, to deliver him, to save him. The Lord makes a lot of promises. And it's interesting that throughout Scripture, God's people often find themselves waiting years for the fog to lift so they can finally see how the Lord has weaved together all the details of their life to accomplish his good purpose for his own glory and for their temporal and eternal welfare. I mean, you remember that the Lord promises Abraham when he is 75 years old that he and Sarah will have a child. Well, that's, I'm almost there and that's remarkable enough. But then add to that the fact that their promised child will not be born for another 25 years. Will not be born until Abraham is 100 and Sarah 90. The Lord makes a promise and they wait 25 years. They wait 25 years in physical conditions that would seem to suggest that it is simply impossible that the Lord's promises, that the Lord's promise concerning a child, that that promise will ever be fulfilled. They wait 25 years. Abraham's 
grandson, Jacob, who was Joseph's father, he has to flee north to escape the murderous intentions of his brother Esau. And as he does so, the Lord meets with him in a dream and promises to be with him, promises I'll be with you and I'm going to bring you back home safely. But it will be 20 difficult, difficult, difficult years before the fog lifts and the Lord delivers him and restores him to his homeland. Now, to Joseph, at the age of 17, the Lord has given two remarkable dreams. But where is Joseph? He's in prison, falsely accused of attempted rape. Now, as I said, he was 17 when his brother sold him into slavery. And then he finds himself in prison. And we don't know how to divide that up. We don't know how many years he served as Potiphar's slave and how many years he spent in prison. But this is what we do know. I mean, look at Genesis. Just We're going to cheat here and look ahead a moment. Look at Genesis 41-46. Because in Genesis 41-46, you're told that Joseph was 30 years old when he finally enters Pharaoh's service. And that means that for 13 long years, 13 years, he waits for the fog to lift as he serves as a slave and endures imprisonment. I wonder if Joseph ever wondered what in the world is going on? What is the Lord doing? First, I'm hated by my brothers. Then I'm sold into slavery. Then I'm falsely accused of rape. And now I'm in prison. But through it all, at least from what the scripture tells us, Joseph is a man worthy of your emulation. I mean, you remember we talked about this the one startling example is that while a slave, he resists Potiphar's wife's attempt to seduce him. Why? Because he has determined that he will not betray his master and, more importantly, that he will not sin against his Lord. Now, that's one moment in a span of 13 years. But I have to assume that throughout those 13 years, Joseph held on to who he knew the Lord to be and what he knew the Lord had shown him. But then, having resisted this woman's attempts to seduce him, he's accused of rape, he's in prison. Now let me ask you, I mean, this is a true story. This is history. Is that how you expect the Lord to treat a man like Joseph? Is that how you expect the Lord to treat a man like Joseph? I mean, is it what Joseph expected as he strives 
to remain faithful to the Lord. I mean, how does being hated by one's brothers, enslaved, falsely accused of rape, imprisoned, how in the world, I wonder if Joseph wondered, how in the world does all of that fit with those dreams I had as a young boy? But I also wonder, I also wonder if Joseph spent time reflecting upon the fact, and don't miss this, reflecting upon the fact that Potiphar didn't have him put to death, which was the expected punishment for a slave accused of attempted rape. Did Joseph ponder the fact that Potiphar bears his life and, and places him in prison, in not just any common jail, but he puts him in the prison reserved for Pharaoh's former officials. Did Joseph reflect upon all of that and see the hand of the Lord in control of his life? I'm not suggesting that would be an easy thing to do. But there certainly were circumstances, even in the midst of these 13 years, that Joseph had to stop and think, huh, I'm not put to death. I'm put into prison. I'm not put in just any prison. I'm put in the prison where the high officials of Egypt are incarcerated. Sometimes, obviously, it's hard to see what the Lord is doing. That had to be true for Joseph. I mean, sure, he wasn't executed, executed, and, and sure, he wasn't incarcerated in just any prison, praise the Lord, but he's still in prison. And he's still charged with a crime he didn't commit. Now, while they're in prison, things seemingly begin to improve for Joseph. But then, things appear to be falling apart. I mean, first, you're told in the opening verse of Genesis 40 that the captain of the guard, this is really interesting, that's the same title that Potiphar bore. And I have to assume, though I don't know this for certain, I have to assume that there were many captains of the guard, so I don't know if this captain of the guard, which was a title that Potiphar bore, whether the one in charge of this prison was Potiphar, or whether it was somebody else, but no matter what, Whoever it is, Joseph, this individual, places Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. Now, don't miss that. Did Joseph stop and reflect upon the irony that he, a non-Egyptian, a Hebrew slave, accused of attempted rape, that he 
is put in charge of former Egyptian government officials. I mean, how ironic. Two of them, as you know, are Pharaoh's former cupbearer and baker. They had prepared Pharaoh's meals and they were responsible to see that Pharaoh's food was delicious and they were also responsible to see that it hadn't been poisoned. They would taste the stuff before they handed it to the Pharaoh. Now, I don't know their offenses, but here they are. And in verse 5, you're told that one night they have disturbing dreams. And when, the next morning, Joseph is able to discern that they're upset, and he asks them what's troubling them, and they tell him they're troubled by the dreams they had the night before. And furthermore, they're distressed because they don't know, and no one seems to be able to tell them the meaning of their dreams. But in verse 8, Joseph assures them that the interpretation of dreams belongs to God. Now, I want you to take note of that. I've already told you that after we leave the end of Genesis 39, it will not be until Genesis 49 that the name Yahweh will be used again. And it has something to do with the fact that Joseph is trying to communicate with these Egyptian officials. I mean, if Joseph, if Joseph had, had used the name of Yahweh, they wouldn't have known who Yahweh was. If he had used the name of Lord, every time in your Bible when you see the word Lord in capital letters, it's Yahweh. I am who I am. I am the great I am. He doesn't use that name. They wouldn't have known who that was. But he seemingly knows that these men believe that there is a God, that there is a supreme being. They're not complete fools. I mean, the scripture teaches only a fool believes there is no God. And so Joseph tells them the interpretation of dreams belongs to God. Well, the cupbearer speaks up. He says, look, this is my dream. I saw three branches. It was a vine. It budded, it blossomed, it produced grapes. And then I saw myself harvesting the grapes and pressing them into wine and filling Pharaoh's cup and placing the cup in Pharaoh's hand. So in verse 12, Joseph, inspired by the Lord, tells him, this is what your dream means. In three days, look at this expression. In three days, the Lord will lift up your head. <laughs> That's an idiomatic expression. It can, mean, it can mean you'll be released from prison. It can mean you'll be called into the Pharaoh's presence. Or, as we will very shortly see, it can mean something far more ominous. But he tells the cupbearer, the Pharaoh in three days is going to lift up your head. And Joseph 
assures the cupbearer that what that means is that in three days, the Pharaoh will lift up your head by restoring you to your former position. So then in verse 14, Joseph asks a favor of the cupbearer. He says, look, remember me when you stand before Pharaoh so that perhaps I can get out of this jail. He explains to the cupbearer that he was, uh, that he is unjustly incarcerated and that he was stolen from the land of the Hebrews and that he's not guilty of anything that justifies him being in jail. So Joseph hasn't forgotten all that has happened to him. He knows well the painful details of the last 13 years. Now look at verse 15. Because Joseph, instead of speaking of being in prison, see what he says? He speaks about being in a pit. Well, that's the same word used in Genesis 37, verse 24, to describe the cistern into which his brothers threw him years earlier, the pit. Joseph doesn't directly blame his brothers, not in this statement, but clearly he hasn't forgotten after these 13 years, he hasn't forgotten what they did to him. And now here's the chief baker. And he's heard this favorable interpretation. So in verse, so he speaks up. I mean, he may have hesitated because he, he sensed that perhaps his dream hinted at something more ominous. But he's heard Joseph's possible, uh, positive interpretation of the cupbearer's dream. So now he shares his dream with Joseph. Now, appropriately, being a baker, he has, in his dream, he sees, him carrying, sees himself carrying three baskets of cakes on his head. The uppermost cake is filled with delicious pastries prepared for the pharaoh. But as he dreams, birds dive on him and eat the cakes. No wonder he hesitated to ask for an interpretation. <laughs> and I wonder if Joseph hesitated to give him the interpretation. But whether he did or not, he tells the cupbearer, he tells the baker, this is what your dream means. Joseph tells him that the three baskets, they represent three days, and in three days, just like he told the cupbearer, he tells the baker, your head will be lifted up. It will be lifted up from your body. In verse 19, Joseph tells him, in three days he will be hung on a tree. Now, the Hebrew wording, by the way, is a little difficult at this point, and it may possibly suggest that either he was hung, or it could imply that he died by being impaled on a stake. 
I mean, neither one sounds real good. And then just as Joseph foretold, three days later in verse 20 on the Pharaoh's birthday, both their heads are lifted up. The cupbearer is restored to his former position and the chief baker is hanged or perhaps impaled. Now, I don't know. You know, I don't know. The scripture didn't tell us why the Pharaoh was merciful to the one and harsh to the other. I mean, who knows? Perhaps the chief baker's offense was far more serious than the cupbearer's. But at any rate, this is the bottom line. This is what's important. Joseph's interpretation, this interpretation given to him by God, it proves true. So things are looking up for Joseph. He's proven his worth and perhaps his innocence to a member of Pharaoh's court. And perhaps, therefore, he's found a way to be released from prison if the cupbearer will just plead his case before Pharaoh. But in verse 22, you're told that the cupbearer, instead of remembering Joseph and pleading his case, simply forgets him, forgets all about him. I mean, maybe the cupbearer didn't want to, you know, maybe the cupbearer didn't want to remind the Pharaoh, you remember when you threw me into prison and have the cupbearer and have the Pharaoh say, yeah. I remember that. Or just, you know, it may be that the cupbearer doesn't want to be identified with a man still in prison. But at any rate, look ahead at the first verse of chapter 41. In Genesis 41.1, you're told that Joseph will remain in prison for two more years. Two more more years. It will not be, as we will see, it will not be until the cupbearer, until, I'm sorry, the Pharaoh experiences, and let me tell you something here. Let me just stop. You just heard me stumble over that. Got the wrong word, okay? I'm an old man. When I get the wrong word, you correct me. Now, some of you think I'm joking. I'm not joking. At Covenant, I had two men in the congregation who were always quick with my approval to say to me, wrong word, wrong verse. I appreciated that. I'm not here to confuse you. you know. So if I use the wrong word, Willa, you say something, okay? <laughs> I, I know you will. Okay, so... It will not be until the Pharaoh experiences two disturbing dreams that the cupbearer will find an opportunity to now make himself look good in the Pharaoh's sight by telling him, look, I know a man who can interpret your dream. So, here's Joseph, favored by his daddy, hated by his brothers, almost murdered by them and then sold into slavery, elevated to prominence in his master's home, then falsely accused of attempted rape, imprisoned, then elevated to prominence in prison, accurately interpreting the dreams of two of Pharaoh's officials, and then forgotten, 
and left to languish in prison. Up, down, up, down, up, down. Sound familiar? Good times, painful times. Time spent waiting to understand what the Lord is doing. For Joseph, waiting 13 years for the blue fog to begin to rise. Believer, you who by grace through faith have embraced Jesus as Savior, Lord, and King, the Lord is with you. He loves you with a love that will never let you go. And yet at times, in all of our lives, in all of our lives, you're not unique. In all of our lives, at times, the blue fog rolls in. And it can be so thick, you're left wondering if the Lord is paying attention. You're left confused trying to figure out what the Lord is doing. But be assured, one of the reasons we're given these histories and the scriptures is to assure you that the Lord has a plan. A plan that includes not only the good times, but also those moments that are or that are painful, that are, that are troubling, that, that are confusing. But be assured, he's got it. He knows what he's doing. And I can tell you now from my perspective, and many of you could testify to this, that with the ability to look back, there will finally come a day for you when you'll see and rejoice as you finally understand what the Lord was doing, how he was working all things together for his own glory and for your temporal and eternal welfare. For the temporal and eternal welfare of both you and others. How long will it be until the blue fog lifts? I have no idea. I have no idea. Let me tell you something. For whatever encouragement it might be to you, and for some of you, it may disqualify me. I've suffered with depression. I know all about the blue fog. Listen to me. I take a dose of Lexapro every day. Now, if you don't know what that is, that's fine. But those, most of you know what that is. It's an anti-depression medication. I take a dose of Lexapro every day. I know all about the blue fog. But I also know that the fog lifts by God's grace and by God's mercy. How long it will be before the blue fog lifts for you, I don't know. But what I do know, what I do know is that just as the Lord is with Joseph, just as the Lord steadfastly loves Joseph, so he is with you and he steadfastly loves you both now and throughout eternity. For as you're told,
the end of Romans 8. Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Let's pray. Father, teach us and encourage us. Show us that the God of Joseph is our God, that you are with us, and that you will be with us, and that you will love us with a steadfast love, both now and for all eternity. Father, sometimes the blue fog is terribly, terribly thick. Father, show us. Help us to believe. Help us to know with absolute certainty the fog will lift. And suddenly we will see in a glorious light that your purposes were yea and amen. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.